It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today's episode, I'll respond to your critiques in my favorite part of the week, Clark Stinks. After that, college graduations are starting to happen. What's in store for the class of 21 in the job market, finishing college, high school, trade school, whatever, I'm going to let you know. So it's really important to me that I get your feedback to improve what I do, the advice I give. And that's why we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks, where you can go post where you feel I didn't do my job well. And then Krista goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares her favorites with you right here, right now. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. Clark, you really, um, you really pushed some buttons last last week on a um, lot of things. Well, didn't there's I? one big one. First, I'm going to read this. There were just a couple of. This is a fun one. A couple of posts about this. I. Heard you tell someone it was okay to run his winter tires in summer. Be careful. There are states that have laws with sizable fines for running winter studded tires in the summer. So if you have studded winter tires, take them off, usually around May to October. Barry. Barry, thank you for that. And I I know that about studded tires, although most tires rated mud and snow now are not studded. They, They are rated for snow conditions without having studs in them. Okay. Probably at least, um, probably 10. Clark Stinks submitted about a segment you did. I'm going to read two of them. As a former Marine who served six years in the Corps, I disagree with what you said recently about everyone being required to serve this country, either through joining the military or doing some kind of service work. That is something that dictatorships or communist countries do. We have freedom of choice, Clark. We shouldn't be forced into any kind of service. That was one of the reasons I served. You're a good person, Clark, but sometimes I don't think you always think things through. And that's from Rob in Arizona. And then Sean in Orlando wrote, I love Clark, but Comrade Howard really stinks. <laughs> His support of mandatory government service for all Americans is the antithesis of the American experience. Does he support finding people that want to take over running their family business instead of serving the government? Would he support jailing someone who wants to further their education or trade instead of going to a battlefield overseas? Volunteerism is wonderful, but it ceases to be that when it's mandatory. Uh, Rob and Sean and the many others who wrote about this, I've always had this feeling that it's important that we uh, see the common purpose of our country, and we seem to have lost that right now. And I don't know how we get it back. It had been my feeling that having people involved in some form of service to our nation, either in the military or in some other form of public service, would create that sense of common purpose and common identity. And obviously, I, based on what any of a number of people posted, I have a screw loose having the idea of some form of mandatory public service. And it's something that I will think through and noodle, and I'd love to come up with uh, another way other than being Comrade Howard. 
(laughs) (laughs) where we're able to reestablish this sense of national identity and purpose that seems to be really torn apart right now when you look at the divisions in American society that we have today. I finally have something to take issue with you, and it smells like an In-N-Out burger that was left out overnight. You frequently make blanket statements about timeshares being horrible purchases or investments. My wife and I have owned timeshares from Disney Vacation Club since 2016. We recently sold one of our contracts on a very robust resale market and made around 35% more than our purchase price from just five years ago. That includes utilizing the contract a number of times prior to selling it. We essentially gained a number of free stays at beautiful resorts over a few years. With the flexibility that the Disney Vacation Club contracts offer, coupled with the popularity of the destinations, these contracts are in demand and continue to appreciate in value. I presume there may be other similarly situated timeshares that are in similar boats, and that's from Bill in Ohio. Bill, thank you. And Bill, tell me, what numbers do I play in the lottery? (laughs) Because your victory with your Disney timeshare is such a rare occurrence in the timeshare space and that it has worked out for you and you made money is outstanding. And maybe that is true generally with Disney timeshares, although you're the first person who's ever posted that this happened to you with this kind of uh, profit, that kind of thing. But I'm Very, very excited for you that it did work out so well for you. And I would say that this is an exception to generally the way timeshares play out. Okay. And you suggested a listener contact a lawyer regarding a VRBO owner who canceled their reservation and then reopened the listing with a higher price. Before going to the expense of seeing a lawyer, I would suggest she first send a letter to the owner saying she will see them in court very soon if they do not honor their agreement. If that fails, then try the attorney. That's from Tom in North Carolina. Tom, thank you. That's a a much cheaper suggestion than what I made, and I like the idea. Uh, What happened in that case, for those of you who did not hear, was ugly. Owner canceled a booking on vacation rentals by owner, VRBO, then immediately reposted those same dates at a much, much higher price just because they realized the marketplace would support a higher price. And that is completely unacceptable behavior. And I was extremely disappointed that VRBO said, ah, well, instead of uh, doing what they should have done, which is stand up for enforcing standards on their website. Clark, you are constantly pushing Costco. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure it's a great store with great prices and perks, but some of us don't live anywhere near one. I checked and the closest Costco to me is 50 miles away, which I know you're going to say is nothing. Please, when offering advice, give Costco and the non-Costco alternative, Marta. Marta, thank you. And Sam's Club is a much improved competitor to Costco. Sam's Club used to be really a backwater, also ran and has a much better sense of merchandising than they used to and very competitive prices. And a lot of people have access to a Sam's Club that don't have access to a Costco for a membership-based experience. And along the Eastern Seaboard, many people have access to BJ's Wholesale Club, 
is another alternative to Costco. Each of them do things a little differently, but they all three offer really significant value in return for the membership fees. Oh, and by the way, Sam's Club uh, constantly will have on ClarkDeals.com where you can uh, get a Sam's Club membership for an equivalent of free. You pay your membership fee, then they give you back perks for that first year that make the membership net out to be zero cost to you. And 50 miles away from a Costco? Is like next door to me. (laughs) Okay. Clark doesn't stink, but he needs to get his Zenny glasses remade to better correct for his myopia. He continually advocates for cutting the cord and touts some of the streaming services while also noting their steep, recent steep price increases, all the while disparaging the cable monster and satellite services. I've had Dish for five years and just renewed for two more. The price I pay, including their best DVR, is on par with what I hear Clark talk about for the streaming services. Yes, I signed up for two years, but it was a gamble I was willing to take for the convenience and price. I compared streaming services with what I got from Dish and determined it was a better choice for me. Clark should not be so quick to dismiss alternatives to cutting the cord, but instead should encourage everyone to comparison shop all products and pick the best one for them and their wallet. Steve in Arizona. Steve, I'm really glad that Dish offered you a deal that it's a good price for you. You're comfortable with Dish. It's worked well for you. You did the right thing taking that two-year gamble. It's interesting that the parent company of Dish is pushing, instead of Dish, they're pushing streaming through a branded product they call Sling because they're hedging their bets knowing that their days with satellite service are actually numbered. Geez Louise Clark, your recent advice about throwing away tax returns after six years reminded me of the Tacoma Aroma from Washington State. People need to keep their 8606 forms indefinitely. It is such an important form, especially for heirs. I read of a lady who was clearing out her father's house. She threw away the tax returns. She later find out, found out that she inherited an IRA that had non-deductible contributions, but she threw the important papers away that tracked the basis of those contributions. So some things should never be thrown away. Jason. Okay, Jason. Yes, very well put. And for people who are not aware, there is a rare thing out there called a non-deductible IRA. And so having paperwork that shows what is a deductible, non-deductible contribution would be a specialized situation that would be an exception to what I said about keeping documentation with a tax return for six years, keeping a copy of the actual return forever. And the good news with a lot of esoteric situations involving IRAs, investments, and the rest is now the company you invest with has much better record keeping than they used to have on basis and other facets of investing that did not exist before. But with IRAs, The record-keeping for non-deductible contributions is still very poor, and so it's up to you to keep that kind of paperwork. Clark, don't do it. We want choices. Recently, you discussed ending the option of paying for ad-free podcasts. Have you ever listened to the ads? They're frequent, repetitive, and annoying. Just because something costs doesn't mean it doesn't have value. If I want to pay almost nothing for less annoyance, shouldn't that be up to me? I thought you were in favor of choice. I will be much less inclined to listen if I have to put up with ads. Neil. 
So where are we now on having the choice of people paying? I mean, uh, we still have it. So we were thinking of doing away with it, but we do have more people signing up. So maybe we'll keep it. Okay. I wouldn't pay. I would listen to the ads, but whatever you prefer, I assume it's more profitable for us when people pay the subscription than just listen to ads. Not really, but it's no? okay. We okay. just wanted people to have choices, honestly, because we go through a third party to do that. So first, I do not think Clark stinks. I took his advice three years ago and got an UMA phone, which I love. I just need to update Clark that the average monthly bill is about $6 now for one phone. The other night he quoted $3 per month and all the, and those days are gone. Nonetheless, a great deal. My husband converted three lines with all the bells and whistles at his office for, to $49 per month from $350 per month. We love Uma, Betty. And there were a couple posts about that, by the way. Thank you for the update, Betty, and the others that posted as well, that the pass-throughs are now higher with Uma, and I will correct what I say moving forward. And I appreciate all of you taking the time to go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and post because I do learn from you. Coming up next, the class of 21 is entering a whole new world and a very promising new job market. Wow, wow, wow. I think about May of last year when I was getting anguish questions from people that were finishing school, whatever level it was they were finished with, whether it was high school, trade school, technical college, or uh, traditional college university, that they were coming into the teeth of a job market in absolute collapse. And it was, it was brutal talking to people about it at that time because we were in the middle of 50 million Americans losing their jobs for at least some period of time due to the collapse of the U.S. economy due to the initial onset of coronavirus on our shores. And here we are now with another wave of graduations about to start and the job picture could not be more different than a year ago. The harm that people suffered, who lost their jobs, for a lot of people, it's going to take a good while to heal. It was devastating. People faced hunger. And moving forward, there are people who are going to face losing their place to live as the eviction moratoriums end in a lot of places. This has been a rough ride. But for the 21 graduates of whatever level of school you've gone through, this is the most promising job market in forever. Employers are desperately looking for workers across so many job categories. And you see it when you're out and about at places that are kind of like a barometer of how the economy's doing where help wanted signs have started reappearing all over and jobs are very, very, very plentiful throughout the job market for you when you're finishing school in May or June this year. So this is a good circumstance for people who had to settle for whatever they could get coming out of school a year ago 
and you may have uh, taken a job with a very low wage just to get work, know that this could be a reset time for you. And you may have a little advantage over people just now coming out of school and that you have some amount of months or a year of some type of work experience that you can bring into the job hunting marketplace. And it is still true, even in a strong job market like now, that just putting in applications wherever online is not the key to getting good work. The key is personal contact. Think about humans hiring humans, where when you go apply for a job, particularly with any larger organization, they have robotic technologies that review your application. You're not even eyeballed by a human. And that's their process for eliminating people, telling them to go away, not hiring. Because people end up almost always, even today, being wired for jobs. If you don't know that expression, that's an old, old expression in employment where people who know somebody are the ones who become the insiders for a job. So work your contacts, whatever they are, wherever they fit in your history. If you're a college type and you were in fraternity or sorority, people who were members prior fraternities and sororities, great source. College employment offices, great sources. And think about family, friends, uh, acquaintances, anybody you know. I mean, you go back the analog era, people used to be told, sit down and write out an index card for every person you can think of you've ever known at at church or civic organization scouting, school, jobs, wherever. And those are your networks. So today you don't have to use index cards for that. You can use an app on your phone. But the idea is to network with people because people hire people. Machines tell you to get lost. Krista? Keith in Georgia says, I'm a young professional who's looking at removing myself as an authorized user on two of my parents' credit cards. Both were initially intended to help me build credit, but I'm now ready to cut the cord, so to speak. The accounts on which I'm authorized are in good standing, and I myself have three credit lines for which I'm the primary user. My credit utilization is also under the 10% on average. My main concern is that one of the authorized user credit limits is substantial and would zap a notable portion of my available credit if, if removed. What precautions can I take to help safeguard against potential credit damage but still move toward financial independence? All right, Keith, I love the way you're methodically thinking this through and the way your parents helped you establish credit in your own name by making you an authorized user. So what you do is what I call the hopscotch. You want to apply for one more card that will replace some of the limit you're going to lose on one that you're an authorized user on. So you may not be able to get a limit that will fully replace it, but you'll be able to build enough. As long as you keep your credit utilization below 30% total, you'll be A-OK. 30% is the trigger. And for people who don't know what uh, Keith and I are referring to, 
if you have total credit limit availability, let's say of $10,000, and you have $3,000 or more dollars that you charge in cards on a month or have balance of more than $3,000, your credit score starts to go down. You hit 50%, your credit score collapses. And you go higher than that, you become a pariah to the credit industry. So in this case, if you apply for another card, which would take you to four, give you more available credit line, then you close the two authorized user status cards you have with your parents. You don't close them, you just have yourself removed as an authorized user. All right, Lila in North Dakota sent in. The only state I've never been to. She sent in this funny story. Recently, we were visiting relatives and discussing the cost of groceries. Someone mentioned Aldi. My son speaks up and says, here we go. She's going to start in with Clark Howard in three, two, one. We all had a real good laugh. Keep up the good suggestions and I will continue to listen to your podcast five days a week and will still spread your good words every chance I get. And Lila, I owe you a visit to North Dakota (laughs) for your incredible support and loyalty. And I want to go visit North Dakota. It's terrible. I got as close as nine miles once to the North Dakota border and didn't make it. Man, staff trip. (laughs) Debbie in California says, in response to the caller asking about a 401A plan, sometimes this can prevent you from getting a tax break for contributing to an IRA if it is pre-tax. Also, while contributing to this, you are not usually contributing to Social Security, and this can cause you to have an offset to your benefits. Debbie, thank you for those two potential downsides to doing a 401A. 401A is uh, an account that is kind of like a government equivalent to a 401K. They're fairly rare, and I appreciate you pointing out the gotchas doing a 401A instead of doing a Roth IRA and how it might, in fact, reduce an ultimate Social Security benefit as well. Amy in North Carolina says, Ari, the home buying and selling in 2021, thanks for your guidance about not buying a home in 2021 unless you can't plan to keep it for 10 plus years. Did your calculations take into account the high cost of rentals? I have a relative with very high rent who could realize hundreds of dollars of savings if he purchased now. Amy, a very thoughtful question. And if equivalent, what's known as equivalent rent, if the mortgage, including taxes and insurance, figuring you also need money for maintenance and repairs, is substantially cheaper than what rent is, that would be an unusual situation in today's housing market. But if it is the case, it would make my argument of buying a home with an intention to own it 10 or more years seem um, overly cautious to the point of maybe being foolish. So the issue with buying a home is that you figure 10 in, 10 out, meaning 10% of the purchase price is money that's eaten up by costs and selling 10% again. So if home prices are going to potentially moderate after we get through this uh, overheated real estate market and could go basically sideways net over a number of years, that's why I want you to have a longer ownership cycle. In a case where 
the housing costs per month is substantially cheaper, that puts holes in my argument clearly. And Shannon in North Carolina says, we were looking at renting a car to move our daughter out of state for college and then flying back home. I know car rental prices are up right now, but a one-way rental is very expensive and they are also charging 35 cents per mile instead of the usual unlimited mileage policy. Is this normal? We're considering driving to Oklahoma and back to North Carolina because of the cost, but it sure is a lot of road time. Yeah, Shannon, if money is key then you want to do the round-trip car rental. It is historically true in the car rental industry that one-way rentals are a very, very expensive adventure, usually done by non-price-sensitive corporate travelers. And so when you're an individual consumer doing a one-way rental, usually you will have your wallet destroyed. So there is an alternative potentially And that is that you fly round trip, your daughter fly one way, and it could be cheaper to move goods with uship.com, the letter uship.com, where you can put the amount of goods that she needs to take to college up basically for bid, and you check the reviews and all that of various bidders, and that could be actually less hassle and cheaper for you than having to drive even one way or round trip. Just an idea to check. And I want you to know, I love our community of listeners. We also have an online community at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. There's a special group there called Ditch Your Debt. And I'm really impressed with how we all help each other on our Ditch Your Debt platform on Facebook. Facebook. 